Volume three, part eleven of Herodotus Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan at antipodeanwriter.wordpress.com. Histories, Volume three, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by E. D. Godley, Part Eleven. The Greeks appointed to serve in the fleet were these: the Athenians furnished a hundred and twenty-seven ships. The Plataeans manned these ships with the Athenians, not that they had any knowledge of seamanship, but because of mere valour and zeal. The Corinthians furnished forty ships, and the Megarians twenty. The Chalcidians manned twenty, the Athenians furnishing the ships, the Aeginetians eighteen, the Sicyonians twelve, the Lacedaemonians ten, the Epidorians eight, the Eretrians seven, the Trozinians five, the Styrians two, and the Seans two, and two fifty oared barks, the Opuntian Locrians brought seven fifty-oared barks to their aid. These are the forces which came to Artemisium for battle, and I have now shown how they individually furnished the whole sum. The number of ships mustered at Artemisium was two hundred and seventy-one, besides the fifty-oared barks. The Spartans, however, provided the admiral who had the chief command, Eurybiades, son of Eurycleides, for the allies said that if the Laconian were not their leader, they would rather make an end of the fleet that was assembling than be led by the Athenians. In the first days, before the sending to Sicily for alliance, there had been talk of entrusting the command at sea to the Athenians. However, when the allies resisted, the Athenians waived their claim, considering the safety of Hellas of prime importance, and seeing that if they quarrelled over the leadership, Hellas must perish. In this they judged rightly. For civil strife is as much worse than united war as war is worse than peace. Knowing that, they gave ground and waived their claim, but only so long as they had great need of the others. This is clear, for when they had driven the Persian back, and the battle was no longer for their territory but for his, they made a pretext of Pausanias' high-handedness and took the command away from the Lacedaemonians. All that, however, took place later. By now the Greeks, who had at last come to Artemisium, saw a multitude of ships launched at Aphetae and forces everywhere, and contrary to all expectation, the barbarian was shown to be in much different shape than they had supposed. They accordingly lost heart and began to deliberate about flight from Artemisium homewards into Hellas. Then the Eubians, noticing that they were making such plans, entreated Eurybiades to wait a little while till they themselves had removed their children and households. When they could not prevail with him, they tried another way and gave Themistocles, the Athenian admiral, a bribe of thirty talents on the condition that the Greek fleet should remain there and fight when they fought to defend Euboea. This was the way in which Themistocles made the Greeks stay where they were. 
he gave eurybiades for his share five talents of that money as though he were making the present of his own money when eurybiades had been won over in this way none of the rest was inclined to resist save adimantus son of ochitus the corinthian admiral who said that he would not remain but sail away from artemisium to him themistocles adding on oath said no you of all men will not desert us for i will give you a greater gift than the king of the medes would send you for deserting your allies with that he sent three talents of silver to adamatus ship these two then were won over by gifts the eubians got what they wanted and themistocles himself was the gainer no one knew that he had kept the rest of the money and those who had received a part of it supposed that it had been sent for that purpose by the athenians so the greeks remained in euboea and fought there this came about as i will now reveal having arrived at Aphetae in the early part of the afternoon the barbarians saw for themselves the few greek ships that they had already heard were stationed off artemisium and they were eager to attack so that they might take them they were not prepared to make a head-on attack since they feared that the greeks would see them coming and turned to flee with night close upon them as they fled it was their belief that the greeks would save themselves by flight and they did not want even so much as a fire-bearer to be saved taking these things into consideration they devised the following plan separating two hundred ships from the whole number they sent them to cruise outside Scyathus so that the enemies might not see them sailing around Euboea. Taking these things into consideration, they devised the following plan. Separating two hundred ships from the whole number, they sent them to cruise outside Scyathus, so that the enemies might not see them sailing around Euboea, and by way of Cathirus around Gerastus to the Euripus, so that they might catch the Greeks between them, the one part holding that course and barring the retreat, and they themselves attacking in front upon making these plans they sent the appointed ships on their way intending not to make an attack upon the greeks either on that day or before the signal should be seen whereby the ships that sailed round were to declare their coming so they sent those ships to sail round and set about counting the rest at a now when they were engaged in this count there was in the fleet one Scilius, a man of Scione. He was the best diver of the time, and in the shipwreck at Pelion he had saved for the Persians much of their possessions, and gotten much for himself in addition. This Scilius had before now, it would seem, intended to desert to the Greeks, but he never had had so fair an occasion as now. By what means he did at last make his way to the Greeks, I cannot with exactness say. If the story is true, it is marvellous indeed, for it is said that he dove into the sea at Aphete and never rose to the surface till he came to Artemisium, thus passing underneath the sea for about eighty furlongs. There are many tales about this man, some similar to lies and some true, but as regards the present business, it is my opinion that he came to Artemisium in a boat after arriving he straightway told the admirals the story of the shipwreck and of the ships that had been sent round euboea hearing that the greeks took counsel together there was much talk 
but the opinion prevailed that they should remain and encamp where they were for that day and then after midnight to put to sea and meet the ships which were sailing around presently however meeting with no opposition they waited for the late afternoon of the day and themselves advanced their ships against the barbarian desiring to put to the proof his fashion of fighting and the art of breaking the line when xerxes men and their generals saw the greeks bearing down on them with but a few ships they thought that they were definitely mad and put out to sea themselves thinking that they would win an easy victory this expectation was very reasonable since they saw that the greek ships so few while their own were many times more numerous and more seaworthy with this assurance they hemmed in the greeks in their midst now all the ionians who were friendly to the greeks came unwillingly to the war and were distressed to see the greeks surrounded they supposed that not one of them would return home so powerless did the greeks seem to them to be those who were glad about the business however vied each with each that he might be the first to take an attic ship and receive gifts from the king for it was the athenians of whom there was most talk in the fleet but the greeks when the signal was given them first drew the sterns of their ships together their prows turned towards the foreign ears then at the second signal they put their hands to the work despite the fact that they were hemmed in within a narrow space and were fighting face to face there they took thirty of the foreigners ships as well as the brother of gorgas king of salamis philaon son of cursus a man of note in the fleet the first greek to take an enemy's ship was an athenian lycomedes son of ascraeus and he it was who received the prize for valour they fought that sea-fight with doubtful issue and nightfall ended the battle the greeks sailed back to artemisium and the barbarians to Aphete, after faring far below their hopes in the fight in that battle antidorus of lemnos the only one of the greeks siding with the persian deserted to the greeks and for that the athenians gave him land in salamis when darkness came on the season being then midsummer there was an abundance of rain all through the night and violent thunderings from pelion the dead and the wrecks were driven towards Aphete, where they were entangled with the ship's prows and jumbled the blades of the oars the ship's crews who were there were dismayed by the noise of this and considering their present bad state expected utter destruction for before they had recovered from the shipwreck and the storm off pelion they next endured a stubborn sea-fight and after the sea-fight rushing rain and mighty torrents pouring seaward and violent thunderings this is how the night dealt with them to those who were appointed to sail round Euboea, however that same night was still more cruel since it caught them on the open sea their end was a terrible one for when the storm and the rain came on them in their course off the hollows of Euboea, they were driven by the wind in an unknown direction and were driven on to the rocks all this was done by the god so that the persian power might be more equally matched with the greek and not much greater than it these men then perished at the hollows of Euboea. as for the barbarians at Aphete, when to their great comfort the day dawned they kept their ships unmoved being in their evil plight well content to do nothing for the moment now fifty-three attic ships came to aid the greeks who were encouraged 
both by the ship's coming and by the news that the barbarians sailing round yeboa had all perished in the recent storm they waited then for the same hour as before and fell upon certain sicilian ships when they put to sea after destroying these when night fell they sailed back to artemisium on the third day however the barbarian admirals finding it hard to bear that so few ships should do them hurt and fearing xerxes anger waited no longer for the greeks to begin the fight but gave the word and put out to sea about midday so it came to pass that these sea battles were fought on the same days as the land battles at the Mopoli. the seamen's whole endeavour was to hold the Euripus, or leonides men strove to guard the passage the greeks were ordered to give the barbarian no entry into hellas and the persians to destroy the greek host and win the strait so when xerxes men ordered the battle and advanced the greeks remained in their station off artemisium and the barbarians made a half circle of their ships striving to encircle and enclose them at that the greeks charged and joined battle in that sea fight both had equal success xerxes fleet did itself harm by its numbers and size the ships were thrown into confusion and ran foul of each other nevertheless they held fast and did not yield for they could not bear to be put to flight by a few ships many were the greek ships and men that perished there and far more yet of the foreigners ships and men this is how they fought until they drew off and parted from each other in that sea fight of all xerxes fighters the egyptians conducted themselves with the greatest valour besides other great feats of arms which they achieved they took five greek ships together with their crews as regards the greeks it was the athenians who bore themselves best on that day and of the athenians clinias son of alcibiades he brought to the war two hundred men and a ship of his own all at his own expense so they parted and each hurried gladly to his own place of anchorage when the greeks had withdrawn and come out of the battle they were left in possession of the dead and the wrecks they had however had a rough time of it themselves chiefly the athenians half of whose ships had suffered some damage now their counsel was to flee to the inner waters of hellas themistocles thought that if the ionian and carian nations were removed from the forces of the barbarians the greeks might be strong enough to prevail over the rest now it was the custom of the eboans to drive their flocks down to the sea there gathering the admirals together he told them that he thought he had a device whereby he hoped to draw away the best of the king's allies so much he revealed for the moment but merely advised them to let everyone slay as many from the Euboan flocks as he wanted. It was better that the fleet should have them than the enemy. Moreover, he counselled them each to order his men to light a fire. As for the time of their departure from that place, he would see to it that they would return to Hellas unscathed. All this they agreed to do, and immediately lit fires and set upon the flocks. Now the Euboans had neglected the oracle of Bacchus, believing it to be empty of meaning and neither by carrying away nor by bringing in anything had they shown that they feared an enemy's coming in so doing they were the cause of their own destruction for bacchus oracle concerning this matter runs as follows 
when a strange-tongued man casts a yoke of papyrus on the waves then take care to keep bleating goats far from the coasts of yeboah to these verses the yeboans gave no heed but in the evils then present and soon to come they suffered the greatest calamity while the greeks were doing as i have said there came to them their lookout from trachis there was a scout at artemisium one polyus a native of anticyra who was charged and had a rowing boat standing ready for it if the fleet should suffer a reverse to declare it to the men at thermopylae similarly if any ill should befall the land army abronicus son of lysiclus an athenian was with leonidas ready for his part to bring the news in a thirty-oared bark to the greeks at artemisium so this abronicus came and declared to them the fate of leonidas and his army when the greeks learned this they no longer delayed their departure but went their ways in their appointed order the corinthians first and last of all the athenians themistocles however picked out the seaworthiest athenian ships and made his way to the places where drinking water could be found here he engraved on the rocks words which the ionians read on the next day when they came to artemisium this was what the writing said men of ionia you do wrongly to fight against the land of your fathers and bring slavery upon hellas it would be best for you to join yourselves to us but if that should be impossible for you then at least now withdraw from the war and entreat the carians to do the same as you if neither of these things may be and you are fast bound by such constraint that you cannot rebel yet we ask you not to use your full strength in the day of battle remember that you are our sons and that our quarrel with the barbarian was of your making in the beginning to my thinking themistocles wrote this with a double intent namely that if the king knew nothing of the writing it might induce the ionians to change sides and join with the greeks while if the writing were maliciously reported to xerxes he might thereby be led to mistrust the ionians and keep them out of the sea fights such was themistocles writing immediately after this there came to the barbarians a man of histaia in a boat telling them of the flight of the greeks from artemisium not believing this they kept the bringer of the news in confinement and sent swift ships to spy out the matter when the crews of these brought word of the truth the whole armada sailed all together to artemisium at the crack of dawn here they waited till midday and then sailed to histia upon their arrival they took possession of the histiaeans city and overran all the villages on the seaboard of the Alopian region which is a district belonging to histia while they were there xerxes sent a herald to the fleet before sending him xerxes had made the following preparations of all his own soldiers who had fallen at thermopylae that is as many as twenty thousand he left about a thousand and the rest he buried in trenches which he covered with leaves and heaped earth so that the men of the fleet might not see them when the herald had crossed over to histia he assembled all the men of the fleet and said men of our allies 
King Xerxes permits any one of you who should so desire to leave his place and come to see how he fights against those foolish men who thought they could overcome the king's power. After this proclamation, there was nothing so hard to get as a boat. So many were they who wanted to see this. They crossed over and went about viewing the dead. All of them supposed that the fallen Greeks were all Lacedaemonians and Thespians, though helots were also there for them to see. For all that, however, those who crossed over were not deceived by what Xerxes had done with his own dead, for the thing was truly ridiculous. Of the Persians, a thousand lay dead before their eyes, but the Greeks lay all together assembled in one place, to the number of four thousand. All that day they spent in observation, and on the next the shipmen returned to their fleet at Histeia, while Xerxes' army set forth on its march. There had come to them a few deserters, men of Acadia, lacking a livelihood and desirous to find some service. Bringing these men into the king's presence, the Persians inquired of them what the Greeks were doing, there being one who put this question in the name of all. When the Arcadians told them that the Greeks were holding the Olympic festival and viewing sports and horse races, the Persian asked what was the prize offered for which they contended. They told him of the crown of olive that was given to the victor. Then Tigranes, son of Artabanus, uttered a most noble saying, but the king deemed him a coward for it. When he heard that the prize was not money but a crown, he could not hold his peace, but cried, Good heavens, Madonius, what kind of men are these that you have pitted us against? It is not for money they contend, but for glory of achievement. Such was Tigranes' saying. End of Volume 3, Part 11 Recorded by Nathan at antipodeanwriter.wordpress.com